We welcome you to the Christian Ministries Church podcast. We believe God has a message for you today that will encourage and speak truth to your heart and life. Let's join Pastor Melanie Bertolio as she shares the word with us today. Thank you all for being here tonight. It's good to see everybody. I'm going to put on the, uh, the glasses. Just going to take care of that right away. I'm going to, I tried for a few times to pretend like I didn't need them, um, but unfortunately that didn't work out as well as I had hoped. So I'm just going to, just, I'm going to humble myself tonight. Just put on the glasses, Mel, just put them on. All right, so it is our last night to talk about faith heroes. And um, we've talked about a lot of faith heroes, haven't we? But as I, as I got to looking about, at the list of all the faith heroes that we've talked about, I kept seeing all the names that weren't on the list. <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, we didn't talk about David. We didn't talk about Paul. Those are a couple of big names, you know. Um, but here's what you got to know is that um, we're always talking about faith heroes. I mean, I don't ever pick up my Bible that I don't read something about a faith hero in my Bible somewhere. So we're always talking about faith heroes. And so let's not get hung up on the ones we didn't cover because trust me, we'll get there eventually. It might be under a different title, a, a different series name, but we'll talk about them. But, but the people that we've talked about so far, I, I think just the, uh, the revelation that God has given to us over some of the, the people that we've talked about. We've talked so far about uh, Noah. We talked about Job, Abraham, Sarah, Rahab, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, we talked about the heroes of Easter, Esther, John the Baptist, uh, Moses, Elijah, Elisha. And tonight we're going to finish up. And you might be thinking to yourself, okay, maybe she's going to talk about David. Maybe she's going to talk about um, Paul. Maybe she's going to talk about somebody else that, that really is a name that we didn't cover. I didn't, we didn't talk about Ruth. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that we did not talk about. Um, and tonight... I'm going to finish up maybe differently than you would expect because I'm going to be talking about some people whose names might not be really familiar to you um, because I'm going to talk about some women in the New Testament. Now, here's what I want to make very, very, very clear uh, because I talked about Sarah. I talked about Rahab. Um, I talked about Esther. Um, but I'm not talking about all women because I did talk about Noah too, but I... Uh, I'm not talking about all these women because I'm some crazed militant feminist. Just, I just want to be real clear about that. I'm not trying to bring gender into a discussion where it really doesn't belong. That's not the goal. And I'm not trying to stroke my own ego by talking about women who are important in the Bible. It's not about a personal agenda for me. It's about who did God speak to my heart and tell me that I ought to talk about and if the Bible talks about these women, I think it does that for a reason. And I think that just because they, they, their name isn't highly recognizable to us and just because it's maybe only mentioned a time or two doesn't mean that we shouldn't know who they are and know why they are in there. Um, now, I do think it is important that you understand something. Um, the culture of the day really truly was truly was um, a, a culture that was totally male-dominant and, and women were very much uh, subjugated. And that's, that, is a, a, that is something that is highly 
documented uh, by people uh, of that time frame from many different cultures. It's just the way things were back then. Um, so these women were, were heroes of the faith, and here's why. It took great faith for them to step out and confidently answer the call of God on their lives. See, the truth of the matter is, I've had to deal with very, very little in the way of persecution when it comes to women in ministry. Now, I had a little, but you're going to get a little no matter, I don't care, I mean, what it is. You're going to get a little. Pastor is a white male, and he's had some some persecution. That's just that's just the life of a Christian. That's not because I'm a woman or I mean it might have been because I'm a woman, but I'm saying everyone's going to have a reason that someone could persecute them. So so I consider myself to be very blessed that I am living out the the uh in the overflow, if you will, of what these women in the word did at a time when it wasn't easy. It really wasn't easy. So um, I I praise God for their faithfulness. I praise God uh, for what he did through them that that maybe we aren't even aware of and maybe never will be until we get to heaven. I don't know. But I I am thankful for them. Um, These are women who um, accepted that the good news of Jesus was for them. Some of these women actually got to to meet him and see him and know him. And they recognized that he came to save them and to redeem them from a curse. And And so the mission of their entire lives became one to perpetuate that message for others to be able to hear and receive in the same way that they had done. So, you know, when we think about New Testament names that, 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 that just really stick out to us, they're mostly male names. Now, Mary, that's a pretty important one. And, and if you read and if you read the entire New Testament and you start looking for Mary, you're going to get very, very confused because there's only like 800 Marys. And, and it's like, okay, which Mary are we talking about right at the moment? And, um, but Mary, I'm talking Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's, she's pretty early on in the New Testament uh, that you read about her. But, but beyond Mary, honestly... You know, we read about 12 disciples. We read about Joseph. I, I'm, I'm assuming we all know that we read about Jesus. But I'm just talking about important godly men of the, the day, the disciples. And, and we read about um, Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Timothy and James, the brother of, of Jesus, Luke. Um, we, re, we think about the people who wrote these books. Um, and, and so there were a lot of very wonderful godly men in that time frame but here's what's awesome we read that there's a lot of of wonderful godly men in the old testament and we we learned that there were some really great godly very courageous godly women in the old testament and the same is true of the new testament there were some women who were very very uh, courageous and did some very remarkable things given that they were in a very adversarial culture at the time um, many legalistic people, uh, even to this very day, um, in the Christ- Christian realm, uh, see the New Testament as, as uh, giving women a lot of restrictions. 
putting a lot of restrictions on women. I mean, Paul really put women in their place, didn't he, when he told them that women should keep silent in the churches and they should learn at home from their husbands. And there's a lot of people who um, really hang their hats on those statements. Uh, and, and I'm not mad at them. I'm not. I, I, it's, I mean, there are things in my Christian walk that, I've, that have been revealed to me from the Holy Spirit, and there are things that haven't. And those are things that haven't been revealed to some people. And, uh, and I just pray for him and believe that, that God will, will reveal himself. But the truth of the matter is those are, those are statements that you will find in the New Testament. They're just taken very much out of context and so um you know if you are a person that doesn't understand that uh first of all there's no condemnation if if you if you in your heart of hearts go you know what I guess I really don't understand why that's not what that means or that or why it meant that here but it doesn't mean it here and so if you're that person don't feel condemned for not knowing or understanding that just come and talk to me I can I've studied this a lot because I wanted to be sure that that standing right here and teaching and preaching uh, was that I was in the will of God for my life and, and, and living truly within the call that was on my life. And so there's no condemnation. Come and talk to me. I've got a lot of information that I will gladly share about that. But I think it's interesting that that, you know, a lot of people really hang their hats on these words about um, women and, and how, you know, the, the restrictions that are seemingly put on them. I love this. You never find Jesus putting restrictions on women. You never find Jesus being harsh with women because they're women. You never ever find him being anything except gracious and engaging honest he's very honest but he's very engaging with the women that he meets so much so that he has women that travel with him as he's as he's traveling around uh the region and and sharing the good news that he is the Messiah, as he is healing uh, and, and, and saving people. And he's got women right there with him all along. Jesus was kind to the, the Samaritan woman at the well. It's one of my very favorite stories. And do you know that she is the very first person that he out of his mouth said, I'm the Messiah? Man, if, if women are supposed to not just learn quietly at home from their husbands, why would he share that openly in public with her first? The woman caught in adultery. It's a good one too. I mean, he did not, he didn't excuse what she had done. Not even kind of, sort of. He just didn't do what the the people of the day were accustomed to, which was to put all the blame on her and none of it on the men who were also in sin in the situation. He didn't get angry with the woman with the issue of blood when she came and, and just was, she didn't care what it took. She was going to get to him and she was going to touch something that had touched him. 
He didn't get angry about that stuff. He didn't get angry at Mary and Martha over their lack of faith. He pointed it out, but he didn't get angry about it. Jesus was very loving toward women, very kind toward women, not more so than men, he, just the same as. He, he loves people, and I'm so grateful for that. After Jesus ascended and went to, 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 to be with the Father, Paul comes on the scene, and Paul teaches a oneness in Christ that sets men and women free. And here's what's really cool about that. All Paul did was, was reveal what had been true all along. All right, God, God has always, it's not like God didn't love women in the Old Testament, but suddenly he decided to start loving them in the New Testament. He's always loved his kids. And he loved his his. his daughters just as much as he loved his sons even in the old testament and so when paul comes on the scene and he reveals that freedom is not just for men but also for women in christ all he did was was he started what we are continuing to do on a daily basis which is just to bring the kingdom to the earth See, all that, that's all that was, was just the truth of, of heaven finally making its way into this world that we as women might be able to live in a way that we'd never, ever felt the freedom to do before. And so Paul, uh, Paul spoke freedom over women. Paul empowered women. And so there are four statements that Paul made that, that really have caused havoc in the church realm for probably thousands of years at this point, but you've got to know if you read the totality of what Paul wrote, he empowered women, he emboldened women, he encouraged them, and he, he uh, helped them to pursue the call of God that was on their lives. In, on the day of Pentecost, and if you'll turn to Acts chapter 1, we're going to read that on the day of Pentecost there were women including the mother of Jesus, Mary, the mother of Jesus, who were present for Pentecost. Not just present, but they actually were baptized in the Holy Spirit and, and the same charismatic anointing that, that fell on the men fell on the women and, and they had power just like the men. They spoke in other tongues just like the men and so I want to read that. It says in Acts chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And then you, we learn how the Holy Spirit came down, tongues of fire, and they all spoke in other languages. And, and people who, who were there recognized their own language from these people. Every single person could hear their own language being spoken 
by people who didn't know their language. Pretty amazing. In Acts 5, verse 14, it says, More than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So as the the New Testament church grows, it makes sure that we understand that it was a church that was, was filled with men and women who loved God. So, with all of that, I just, and that's kind of, that's kind of the setting the stage. I want to talk about tonight, out of Ephesians chapter 4, there are five offices, uh, which is what they're often referred to, of uh, leaders in the church. And in Ephesians 4, verse 11, it says, These are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. And I, I, I feel certain that this being a Wednesday night crowd, everybody has, has heard this passage before where we know that there are apostles, there are prophets, there are evangelists, pastors, and teachers. All right? And the pastors and teachers, some, some versions list that as two separate things, a lot of people think of those as, as one thing, and they very much overlap. Um, even if they're separate, they still have a lot of... As a matter of fact, all five of these offices have, have a lot of overlap. Most people don't just operate in one single uh, office in leadership in the church. They often will, will have a, a, a little bit of all of them. Um, but uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers... The reason I'm pointing this out to you is I want to point out some women very early on when it wasn't nearly, really wasn't acceptable at all among the Jewish tradition, in the Jewish tradition, um, some people who filled those offices within the church. All right, because there's a lot of people who say, well, you know, women shouldn't do certain things, and yet we see women in the Bible filling the very offices that, are, that people today will tell you they should never fill. So we're going to look at some of those things. Um, some of the names that we're going to talk about today are, are Phoebe, Priscilla, Junia, Nympha, Lydia, Anna, Mary, and Philip's daughters. So we're going to start by talking about apostles. Um, in Romans chapter 16, verse 7, it says, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who were in prison with me. They are highly respected among the apostles and became followers of Christ before I did. So this is Paul talking, and he's saying, Hey, tell Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, they were in prison with me. Tell them that I said, Hey, okay, they're highly respected among the apostles. And they, were, they became Christians even before I did. So this is Paul just saying, shout out, okay? Tell my, my people that I, I'm thinking about them, all right? Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I read names in the Bible, some of those names are a little bit weird to me, and I, I'll be reading something, and then I'll, I'll, I'll read a name, and I'll think I know that it's a man, and then I find out later that it's a woman's name or vice versa. And so when I read that Andronicus and Junia, I, I have no idea. So I have... to to study that to know. Um, Andronicus and Junia are likely either a married couple or brother and sister. Um, They are, uh, Andronicus is a man. 
And Junia is actually a woman. Although for, I don't know, 800 years or so, um, there has been an agenda to, to, to make Junia a, a man. Why? Because we can't call a woman an apostle. The only problem with that is that um, no commentator out of, uh, on, on this text out of Romans indicated Junia was a male, was a man, until 1245 to 1316, just about 800 years ago. Okay? So for 12, 12 to 1300 years, it was understood that Junia was a woman. Some of your versions of your Bible may refer to Junia as Junius because that is the male version of that name. However, um, until 800 years ago, it was understood by all the, the, the church fathers. Lots of people wrote about Junia and they always referred to Junia as a woman and as someone who was highly respected among the apostles. So we know that Junia was an apostle. Can you imagine how difficult that must have been to be an apostle at a time when they are so bent, I mean, so on, on you not doing what God's called you to do that they're going to try to change history? You know, I mean, we, we think that canceling people just started. Junia's been trying, they've been trying to cancel her for 800 years. But she was an apostle that, um, that labored. She's an apostle that went to prison for the work that she was doing for the Lord. And so Junia shows us that there were women who were apostles in the Bible. Um, she was imprisoned for the cause of Christ. She was highly respected. And therefore, in, to me, she's a hero of the faith. So prophets. This one's not so hard. There are, are several times throughout uh, the word of God where we hear about prophets. Um, in Luke chapter 2, verse 36. Anna, a prophet. Really, I could just stop there. Anna, a prophet. Okay, now she's the one that prophesied over Jesus as uh, an infant, I believe. Um, but it says, Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. She was very old. Her husband died uh, when they had been married for only seven years. She lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Anna was a prophet. She was someone who spent her entire life, her entire life, studying the Word of God and praying. She fasted. She sought the Lord with her whole heart for her whole life. And she's someone to be looked up to. In Luke chapter 1, Elizabeth um, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied over Mary. And then Mary prophesies after Elizabeth finishes. And she says, How my soul praises the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. 
For he took notice of this lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She prophesied. They, Mary and Elizabeth both spoke prophetically. Anna was a prophet. Um, in Acts chapter 21, uh, verse 8, it says, The next day we went on to Caesarea and stayed at the home of Philip the evangelist, one of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute food. He had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. So we just named seven women who, who, who operated as prophets in the New Testament. The super cool thing about it is that even in the Old Testament, we talked about uh, some people who operated a- as prophets. You have Miriam, you have Deborah, you have Huldah. Um, and so there are peop- women in the Old Testament that were prophets, but they, that was carried through into the New Testament. Pastors and teachers, we're going to kind of address those uh, together because they do uh, overlap so much. Um, But probably the most uh, well-known pastor in the New Testament who was a woman was Priscilla. And in Acts chapter 18, verse 24, it says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. So when Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. Apollos had been thinking about going to Achaia, and the brothers and sisters in Ephesus encouraged him to go. They wrote to the believers in Achaia, asking them to welcome him. And when he arrived there, he proved to be of great benefit to those who by God's grace had believed. He refuted the Jews with powerful arguments in public debate. Using the scriptures, he explained to them that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, here's what's super cool. He was taught by Priscilla and Aquila. Why is that a big deal? Well, for one thing, anytime in, in, in ancient writings, whoever's name is listed first is considered to be primary among the ones who are being listed. So in the Bible, every time Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned, and I think there's four or five times, every time except for one, Priscilla is the name that comes first. One time, Aquila is mentioned first, but the rest of the time, She's always noted as the first one, and that, is, that was a standard procedure in writing in that day to always list the primary, the most important one, the one with the most authority, the greatest leader as the first one. And so Priscilla and Aquila, who are husband and wife, they see this guy, and they're thinking, you know what, he's doing a great job, but there's some things that he could really use some help with. And you know what they don't do? They don't start criticizing someone who's trying to do something right. Man, we do that. We've got to, 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 to look at the heart of a person. And when they looked at Apollos, they saw someone whose heart was to share the gospel and good news of Jesus Christ. And so it says, he taught others uh, about Jesus with an enthusiastic uh, spirit and with accuracy. However, he didn't know, he only knew about John's baptism. And so when Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside, explained the way of God more accurately. He didn't fly off the handle and get mad and get in pride because there was something he didn't know. 
They didn't condemn him because he was preaching without knowing everything he was supposed to know. They worked together, and guess what happened? He went off to another town, and, and, and a great many of people were saved because of the message that Apollos had that came through Priscilla and Aquila. We know that Priscilla and Aquila uh, hosted a church in their home and uh, that Paul and Luke both indicate that Priscilla was the more outstanding leader uh, compared to her husband because of the way they name her first. Um, And so it is the most likely scenario is that Priscilla was the main teacher and the pastor and her husband played a more supportive role. Um, Here's the deal. I'm not, I'm not up here trying to advocate for more women pastors, more women leaders. What I'm telling you is let's let people operate in the gift and call of God on their lives. And let's be supportive of one another as we're all trying to do that. So, um, so we've got Priscilla, who we can clearly see operated both as a pastor and a teacher. And then the last one is an evangelist. And an evangelist is someone that carries the gospel message to places where it was previously unknown. And, um, and so Paul spoke of several women who labored alongside him as he traveled and spread the gospel. Um, and some of those women, I don't think we, he even says their names. But, but there are some that he does. There are some that he notes, and some of them have really strange names. Tryphena, Tryphosa. Um, several different people. Um, but, uh, but they're not the only ones. You think about this, the Samaritan woman. In John 4, verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. That's being of an evangelist. She stood face to face with the Messiah. She didn't even have to wonder for sure if that's who he was because he looked right at her and said, I'm the Messiah. And she knew that he spoke with a kind of, uh, of authority and power that she had never heard before. She didn't question that what he said was true. And part of the reason was because he was able to tell her things about herself that he should never have known. But instead of being embarrassed, instead of throwing a fit and getting, uh, getting in pride over that, she was so thrilled to know that the Messiah had come because she knew what that meant for her. And when she realized she wasn't ashamed, she ran back to her village. And you know she was one of those people that was kind of, that people kind of looked down their nose at her. She didn't care anymore. When you've really, truly been saved, you don't care anymore what anybody's going to think about it. You want everybody to know. Why? Because you want them to have the experience that you've just had. So she goes back to her village and she tells everybody, I I just met a man who told me everything I ever did. And she wasn't talking about anything good. And she was excited. But they recognized something different in her. And so they all come running to him. And guess what? They got to have the same experience. You know what she did? She evangelized her entire community. That's pretty amazing. 
And you know, deacons and elders, this is an interesting note because they're not listed as one of the five offices, um, but deacons and elders are mentioned in the word of God. And um, in Romans 16, 1, uh, we learn about Phoebe. It says, I commend you to our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church in Centuria. Uh, welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she's been helpful to many and especially to me. Um, when it says that she has been helpful, the word that is translated helpful is actually one that means she's been set over others. So this is a woman in authority over people. It also means defender or guardian. And that same word used to describe Phoebe in Romans 16 is the word uh, that is used in 1 Timothy 3 and 5 to reference bishops and deacons. Um, now, this is another one where some, some people have tried to cancel Phoebe to some degree um, because it was completely understood um, for the first few hundred years after Jesus ascended into heaven uh, that the word that was in that passage was deacon. But about 300 years after Jesus went to heaven, the term deaconess became something that was used. And, it tried, and the, the, the point of it was to try to alter a person's thinking and, oh, well, she's a, she's a woman deacon, when the fact of the matter is, in the original language, there's no difference. The exact same word is used, deacon for Phoebe, that is also used for other people, um, especially those passages in 1 Timothy uh, 3 and 5. And so, um, so they tried to cancel that Phoebe was a deacon, but the fact of the matter is that she was. She was likely the pa a pastor of a church, um, and she wasn't the only one. There were several other people um, throughout the New Testament, several women who were considered, it, that it was considered likely that they pastored churches in their own homes. Um, and so I think it's important. Um, if, if we were talking about movies um, these people that I'm talking about to you tonight would be considered secondary characters, supporting actors. But here's what I believe. I believe God doesn't see anybody as secondary characters in the kingdom of God. We all have something that God has put within us, a passion and an ability that he's put within us to do. And um, it doesn't matter whether that's a highly visible role or not. And we, I think we get really hung up, um, not just women, men and women. Um, and we sometimes see our role as insignificant. And what I want us, men and women, to learn from these women is that there are no insignificant roles in the kingdom of God. And there's, no, uh, there's nothing that God has gifted and called you to do that could ever be deemed insignificant. Um, again, it doesn't matter how visible your role is. You don't have to be uh, you know, producing signs and wonders everywhere you go all the time. These women show us that faithfulness is greater than fame. And... You know, there's just something to be said for that Christian who doesn't need attention, doesn't need 
the spectacular to understand the importance of who they are to God and to his kingdom. Um, There are a lot of people in the Bible whose names are only mentioned once or twice, but they're mentioned. They're mentioned. That's not an accident. So when you start to think about yourself and what role you play as insignificant, you've got to change the way you think about it because some of us may be sitting here today because of what Priscilla did. Some of us may be sitting here today because of what a woman named Lydia did who was also the pastor of a church in her home. Some of us are sitting here today because of people whose names we will never know. And you know what? I pray that there are people who will wind up in heaven to one day because of me. And I'm okay that they never know my name. But I sure want them to know the name of Jesus. And so I, I, I felt like it was really important for us to understand that God hasn't called every single person to... to to be a pastor as, as their vocation. It's not, we couldn't all do that. Somebody, somebody needs to. And I praise God for our pastor. I praise God that, that I, I can operate in that role to some degree. And I thank God that he has, has given me peace in my heart about what he's called me to. But each of us has a part to play and our roles are going to be different and, and, and what looks like a primary role to you may not be any more significant than what you are deeming to be your own secondary role. You've got to see them the same. Because if it's one person that's counting on you to, do, to, to be that, that person, to do that thing that God's called you to do, then it's worth that one person, isn't it? Some of us, our primary role is to just show up to work, put a smile on our face, show kindness and love, and have the right response when someone is drawn to that and to be able to point them to Jesus. We make things bigger than they need to be sometimes. We elevate this person and we, we t- put this person down lower. because, And we shouldn't do that. God doesn't. These women are important, not because they're women, but because they answered a call of God on their life. And I praise God for their faithfulness. And to me, they are heroes for that reason. Thank you for being part of our podcast today. You'll find more online messages from Christian Ministries Church, as well as location information on our website at cmchurch.net. There's a place for you at Christian Ministries Church where it's more than a church, it's family.